0: Well, if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I realized I was doing some addition. Probably I have been a part of more than 500 communion services, probably much more than that. And I realized that we come at least once a month, we celebrate the elements of the bread and the cup, It seems to be that we tack it to the end of the service, which we really don't. But we don't really talk about it. I don't think I have ever really taken you to the passage that I read every Sunday we have communion in 1 Corinthians. We just read it. Today, I would like to spend some time in this message explaining it, so that you have a greater sense of what we do when we come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Communion, many different names that it goes by. We have just come through a season filled with travel and family get-togethers. We've exchanged some gifts, but, but it is the reconnecting and deepening of our relationship with others, and especially, I think, with our families, that I believe is key during this late November to New Year's season. I don't know about you, but when I get together with family, I laugh a lot. We remind each other of stories from decades ago to say, remember this when? And they would recount the story and it seems to embellish a little bit every time it's told. And we laugh all the more as new details are added into the story. We just love it. We reconnect with our kids and our grandkids, with aunts and uncles. We take a moment at least and we remember people who are no longer with us. And we sometimes spend time reminiscing about remember when dad did this or mom did this. We celebrate new births. We celebrate milestones achieved. Well, at least that's the way it's supposed to work. Some of you had holiday get-togethers that you wish not to remember. I get that. It was tough. And I'm glad you're here this morning with part of your spiritual family. So the purpose, Why, why do we travel? Why do we spend days in a car or hours on an airplane or hours sitting in terminals with large layovers and we fight the crowds? Do you ever think about how much you expend to do this? It's my opinion that it's, it's to renew our relationships. It's to renew unity within our body, our family unit, it's to build mutual love. It's, it's to build support with those we care about. We come together to share joys and sorrows with those we love. It's my observation that many of us increase our level of self-giving, to make all of this happen, you go out of your way to cook extra special meals, to find that just special little gift, whether it's Christmas or not, just to say to this family member, I thought of you. We give up our beds so that our kids have somewhere to sleep when they come home. Okay, some of you don't. Okay. <laughs> but self giving, self sacrifice, just seems to heighten the enjoyment of the season. And as we do this, we're blessed. We're blessed as we honor those around us. So today, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. For some, when you walked in and we reminded again this morning that this was Communion Sunday, some of your eyes glazed over. Some of you mentally thought, And you mentally looked at your watch wondering how long will pastor take us this morning and will it jam up Sunday school? Some of you come to communion, you see the elements here on the communion table and guilt rises up in your being saying, oh, another month's gone by and I have not made the progress. I wanted to spiritually. And you... Feel guilty. Some of you enjoyed the variety in the morning worship services. So we're going to break up things a little bit today. At least once a month we do this. But some of you don't know what to think when you walk in and you see the elements. You you just do it. It's, It's almost part of the ritual of the church. And I would like to deepen your understanding this morning of what takes place so we're going to look at first corinthians 11 verses 17 to 34 it's page 12 18 there in the pew bible let me give you the background this church at corinth if anyone ever says to you i want to be a new testament church look at them with a weird eye please because this New Testament church was racked with issues. They were not a model church. Paul had to write to them to correct issues. And he begins with First Corinthians to address a number of issues. Matter of fact, in chapter 11, when we start at verse 17, he is addressing Paul is addressing the fifth major problem this church had. And each major problem had subsets to them. In chapter 11, starting in verse 2 through chapter 14, verse 40, he is going to talk about and deal with a problem in this church that I called chaos in their worship services. It was a circus. It was a free-for-all. And communion was one of those issues that they just did not have a good sense of what to do. Paul is correcting abuses that they practiced when they came to the communion table, just like we are this morning. One author calls this a communion crisis at Corinth. I like that. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, just that first verse, listen to what Paul says. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. In verse 17, Paul has a stinging rebuke for this church. There's no commendation. Rather, he says to them at the end of the verse there, when you come to meet together, you do more harm than good. It's interesting in verse 17, there's this, these two words, come together. And as I looked at the passage we're going to look at this morning, I realized this was one of the keys. Because this phrase, come together, is found in verses 17, 18, 20, 33, 34. It's very important. This coming together was a festive gathering. It was a love feast. Now, just so you understand how they operated, they would often have a potluck. See, they were Baptists at heart, were they not? They had a potluck before they had the communion service. So they would get off of work often, because back then in that culture, people worked seven days a week. So they would get off from work, they would bring their picnic basket, they would come to someone's home because they did not have church buildings like we do. They would sit around and share a meal together and they would finish off with the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion. And Paul's going to talk about what happened before and then during the communion service. It was a communal meal. It was a celebration meant to express unity. It was meant to express care for those in the church less fortunate because you remember those days when you had many kids and few funds, you sometimes really look forward to church potlucks. You know why? Because you could bring your pittance and someone else who was a little more finesse in the kitchen would bring this feast. And you'd say, man, I hope I get into the line near the front end. I mean, I, I was poor at one point. And you would then enjoy this scrumptious feast, you know. and at the end were the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and you, you'd pass by those because you had enough of those last month so it was an equalizer of individuals this church was to live in true community and yet paul is ticked off at this church and how do i know that look at the end of verse 22 what shall i say to you shall i commend you for this we'll study what this is no i will not not He didn't give them any wiggle room to say, what you are doing is wrong. And so then he then begins to talk about what's the problem. The problem is found in verses 18 to 22 there in 1 Corinthians 11. Let me read it for you. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I I will not. There's the problem. Their coming together, to use the phrase though in this passage, their coming together was a sham. They were a divided congregation. They were selfish. They had their own preferences. And for many, it was a me first, take care of my own. You find out in this passage that they would say, I'll bring food for the potluck for me and my family. They wouldn't set out the common table. They would take their picnic basket to a table over here and they would spread out their settings and their food, their scrumptious food. While everyone else took of the common table, certain families said, no, I I really don't want to share what I have With the rest of you. No offense, but you know, I brought this. Instead of unity, in verse 18, there were divisions. Verse 19, there were factions. And as you study the church there at Corinth, there was a huge gulf between the rich and the poor. The rich took care of themselves and the poor took whatever was left. And every time they celebrated the Lord's Supper and the love feast that preceded it, the disparity between those who had and those who did not got wider and wider. Message got back to Paul what was happening. And it become so polarizing. It says in verse 19 that those who, who practice unity are the ones who were authentic or genuine, and, and they were recognized in the church to say, "Wow, they, they live different than the rest of us." They stood out compared to the rest of the church. Verse 20. When you come together, there's that phrase again it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. They had turned this memorial of selflessness, that's what the Lord's Supper is, into an experience of selfishness. They treated the Lord's table like this was their own personal meal. That's not the church. Verse 21, and for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. You know, you're taught in manners, you should wait for everyone to get their food and then you all eat together at the same time. Amen? Amen. That's what you're taught. But when that piece of roast beef is in front of you, when that prime rib is sitting there and there's peanut butter jelly sandwiches over there, I want to get started. I want to get going with my food. And that's what was happening. They, they treated it like it was their own meal. Verse 21, for an eating, one goes ahead of the other with his own meal. One goes hungry. You know, one of the fears when I first went into ministry was, when going to potlucks, would there be enough food left? Grandview has taught me that's never the case. Isn't that true? There's always more than enough food, but not here in Corinth. People would load up their plates, would get to the front of the line, would would say, you know, I'm going to get there early. You know who often came late to the love feast were the slaves who had to work a full day's labor. So they often came late. Okay, what's left? And what was left was nothing. So the poor went hungry some of them started drinking wine so early in the afternoon by the time they got to communion another gets drunk see this this time this thing called the lord's supper was to be a picture of christian love and unity but it had become riotously disunifying It had become in Corinth a picture of selfish living. As one author says, the love feast for many became a slob fest. That's the problem. How do you deal with it? Because you're dealing with a basic need of human food. Food. And the church, the body of Christ, was to share with one another. He then goes on to talk about the truths of communion and these are the verses that I read every time we celebrate it and I'll read it again today. Verses 23 to 26 and before I read the passage I want you to put a couple facts in as you listen to this. Number one, Jesus died to provide unity for us. Jesus died to give us peace with God and peace with one another. Now, that sounds so simple, but this unity, this peace that he provides for us crosses economic divisions. It crosses racial lines. It crosses gender distinctions. It crosses, dare I say, political allegiances. Oh, a little painful. This is, this is the year of the election, is it not? And in this church, I know there are Democrats and Republicans. <sighs> and some independents. Well, of course it's a Baptist church. We are independent. How do we work together? We have different opinions and thoughts and preferences, but Jesus Christ died to provide our unity with one another. And every time we come to this table, we are celebrating that unity. Not our differences. Jesus broke down the barriers. We are one in Christ. Can I suggest also another truth? That Jesus Christ's sacrificial death Models for us our own self-sacrifice. You want me to do what? Oh, our Savior, our Master, gave of his life. None of us have been asked to do that yet. That's the model. And think about the context of this night when the first Lord's Supper took place. Place. He's in the upper room with his intimate 12 disciples. What was the time frame? In less than 12 hours, he would be tried and found guilty. And Christ knew that was coming. And yet he takes, he carves time out of his schedule to say... Men, I want you to know how much I love you. He has great love for us. And we, in turn, are to love one another. Now, it's not tolerate one another. It's to genuinely love one another. No exceptions. So is that background, let me read... Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, the bread reminds us of his broken body, his unselfish sacrifice given for my benefit and for yours. The cup reminds us of his total self-sacrifice. But can I also suggest the cup also reminds us of his power to reconcile us to God. See, Jesus takes the memorial, the Passover, he takes that memorial and he hijacks it. He gives it new meaning. So the Passover, only look back, look back, look back. The Lord's Supper looks back, but also looks forward. That's a shift. That's a huge shift in our thinking. And Paul says to this church, get your act together. You're in the presence of something to remind us of the sacrifice our Savior made for us. Don't treat it lightly. What are the resulting implications? Because communion is such a profound ordinance, we must be careful how we approach it. Let me read verses 27 to 34, because Paul addresses the implications some have died but if we judged ourselves truly we would not be judged but when we are judged by the lord we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world so then my brothers when you come together there's that phrase again when you come together to eat have the decency to wait for one another If anyone is starving, if anyone is hungry, it says hungry. You know that when your kids say, I'm starving. If anyone is hungry, let them eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Oh dear, he's not done See, we often in the past, and it was just so interesting as I studied this, to take the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. That phrase just kind of poked its finger in my chest. Can I suggest this morning, are any of us worthy to approach the Lord's table? No. No apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ, none of us have anything of worth to qualify us for the table. So what does this mean, this unworthy manner? I'm going to say it's not a call to quiet reflection on our personal worthiness or lack of it because we are all unworthy. Amen? Amen? We're all unworthy. But... There are times that we can dishonor the covenant with Christ by our behavior, which destroys the unity of the body. That's what he died for, to give us peace with God and to join us together as one part of one family. Why is this so? It came so clear to me as I studied to sin against another believer is to sin against Christ himself. This calls for us, especially within the body of Christ, to a new level of humility and self sacrifice. What is best for you? And in verse 29, when he talks about discerning the body, because it's not just concerning the body of Christ, but it's also discerning the body of Christ, the local church, I realize that each of us are guilty of that when I flagrantly disregard the physical needs of others in our local church. Often we say, would you consider giving to the benevolent fund? Often we make a mention of that, not every communion, but on a regular basis. This table was provided for us to express unity. We pass out the elements. We all get the element. We all take it together. Why? Because we're a part of the same body. When you pass the plate to the person next to you, you are serving them. We're demonstrating unity. The purpose of getting together and celebrating the Lord's Supper is to proclaim the gospel. Church is not here just to satisfy my own desires. The church is here so that we can be equipped and encouraged and motivated to go out and share our faith with others. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of the sacrifice Jesus made so that we would have a message to take to others. What does this mean for us? Christ died to provide peace with God and peace with one another. That's unity. It was a costly purchase. It cost Jesus Christ his life. So why do we treat unity so flippantly with such little regard Why do we stab each other in the back on occasions? Unity is what he died for, to make us right with God, but also right with one another. And as this message is being preached, some of you are analyzing your own attitudes and behaviors. And I think we need to confess our pride, our selfishness, are wanting our own way, are failing to see the needs of fellow believers, and then when I see the need, do I do something about it? Or, well, that's someone else's responsibility. We're going to spend eternity together, amen? Some of you are saying, oh, I hope he changes a lot before that happens. Let's start practicing down here. Let's be caring for one another we don't climb on each other's to get ahead. We link arms to get ahead. Jesus invites you as his child to his table. This is his table. He provided the bread and the cup. He shed his life and his blood. And if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, you are Invited to come to this table and to celebrate it with us. This is not Grandview's table. This is not my table. This is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He invites you. And as we come to the table this morning, would you remember His supreme sacrifice? Would you remember His soon return? Would you, as you take it, celebrate your relationship with other believers here in this body? Would you understand that as we take the elements of the bread and the cup, we are participating in God-honoring worship? And this table reminds us that we are to live in community, one with the other, when one of the members of the body, suffers what happens. We all suffer. When one rejoices, well, some of you rejoice. Some of you are jealous. That's, that's real life. But we're all called to rejoice. This table is to remind us of how interconnected we are one with the other. Why do I need to apply this? John 13:35 By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not the size of your building or the size of your budget, not the kind of car you drive, not how well behaved your kids are. The world is watching. But can I suggest even more so our Savior is watching? He wants us to come to His table to acknowledge that sometimes we blow it in the area of keeping the unity of the body alive and fresh. We push our own preferences. We have little hissy fits when things don't go our way. He calls us to remember his sacrifice for us. Please prepare your hearts to partake this morning. Let's pray.